Let's pray. Heaven Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that has been read. And Lord, we want to commit the children as they learn more about you during the Sunday school. Lord, we pray so that, Lord, you touch their hearts so that, Lord, they will respond, Lord, to your word. And Lord, we pray, Lord, uh, for us, Lord, as we meditate on this great passage uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10, Lord. We pray so that, Lord, you help us to understand. And, Lord, we pray so that, Lord, you draw us closer to yourself. And, Lord, we pray so that, Lord, you help us, Lord, to, to understand the wonderful truths that we find in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to, before I preach the sermon, I just want to thank you all for especially the leadership of this church that has given me the opportunity to come over, to enjoy, to attend the Shepherds Conference. It was indeed a blessing, and uh, we're really encouraged uh, by God's word that was preached. Now, coming back to our passage, uh, you'll find that in the book of Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and is addressing various things that were happening in the church. And you find that when we come to chapter 9, you find that Paul, um, Paul is talking about the Christian life. He says that the Christian life is a race, and this is a race to win souls uh, for the Lord. And during those times, during the Greek context, the Olympics, you find that there was races that were set, and people had to run in their tracks. And you find that there was only one winner in those races. Whereas if you look at the Christian life, you find that in the Christian race, you find that the race is open to anyone. And anyone can win the race. As long as you finish your race, as long as you stick to the rules of the race and run in your track, then you are able to, to win the race there. So you find that, you know, the Christian race is different. Anyone who competes uh, applying those rules, they are able to win uh, the race. And, uh, and Paul mentions here that we are in a race, brothers and sisters, to win souls for Christ. To win souls for Christ. And uh, Paul is actually saying that, you know, we should run in such a way that we finish the race and we receive the prize. And you find that Paul even talks about the fact that anyone who competes in the games has to go in the strict training. So in other words, we have to be, be practicing. We have to exercise discipline. Um, just, like in the, just like what the athletes do uh, in the Greek uh, Olympics, they will practice and they will practice their races for 10 months. Uh, they, that was a time of strict discipline. It meant that the people had to be, the athletes had to be very careful on what they ate. They had to be very careful on what they drank. They made sure that they exercised so that they would be able to, to prepare for the race. So in the same way, Paul is saying to us that you and I, we have to go into strict training. We have to be disciplined if we are going to make it to that race. We have to make sure that whatever we we do, we are ready for that race. Just like uh, the, the athletes during the time of Paul, 
They had to eat the food that was healthy. They had to make sure that they got enough time of sleeping. They had to make sure that they exercised. You and I also, we are called to exercise. We are called to be disciplined people if we are to bring other people to the Lord. And Paul says in verse 26, he says, Therefore I do not run like someone who is running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer that is beating the air there. So Paul there is using two metaphors. One is someone who is running. So if you are running, you have to make sure that you are running like someone who has got a target. Someone who has got a goal. Someone who is focused. Not just running aimlessly. So that's what Paul is talking about. If you are a boxer, you practice to box to hit your target. This is what Paul is saying. You don't just fight like a boxer who is just hitting the air there. So in other words, you don't have to waste your energy and your blows onto the air. But you have to make sure that you hit the target. And Paul, and this is what Paul is talking about. He says that you and I as believers, we are supposed to make sure that we run in the right way. We know what our goal is and we go forward towards our goal. We know the boundaries of our track and we make sure that we run in such a way that you and I, we don't get disqualified. Um, and I wanted to say that brothers and sisters, you find one of the worst things that can happen to an athlete is to be disqualified. After practicing for 10 months, after eating the right food, after exercising for a long time, one of the most terrible things that can happen is for them to be disqualified. One time I was watching the Olympic Games and there was some track events that were taking place and the people ran in those track and one of the people you know, was first in the race and he was celebrating, lifting his hand and everyone was clapping their hands only to find that, you know, you know when they rewinded the, the, the video footage, they discovered that he actually went in somebody's lane. So eventually, that man was disqualified. So this is what Paul is talking about. He's actually saying that, you know, when we run our race, we want to run it well in such a way that we won't be disqualified. Otherwise, when we are disqualified, it, it leads to embarrassment. It's what, what an embarrassing situation for someone after celebrating the victory, then they are told at the end that you have, you have been disqualified. So Paul is, is, is encouraging us, brothers and sisters, for us to run the race with perseverance, for us to run in such a way that we run it well. And this um, requires discipline on our part. This requires self-control there. So you find that, you know, if we, if the Lord is going to use you and I to share the gospel to others, you find that we have to be disciplined. We have to be disciplined. We have to be ready to be used by the Lord. We have to be ready to be used by the Lord. Our lives should reflect uh, a life that is consistent with the gospel. So for Paul, it's very important for one to run the race and to run it well and not to be disqualified. So may the Lord help us as brothers and sisters so that we continue to follow the example of Paul so that we run the race very well. So we have to make each and every sacrifice 
that is needed for us to win other people to, to the Lord. And uh, in, chapter, in, in, in chapter 10, Paul goes on to give us a warning. So the first thing he says, the Christian race, the Christian life is a race where we want to win, where we run with focus. But when it comes to chapter 10, Paul actually goes on to give us a warning. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact that brothers and sisters, our ancestors, were all under the cloud. They all passed the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. So you find that Paul gives a warning uh, to, the, to the Corinthians. Why? Because the Corinthian church, they were so privileged. They were founded by the great apostle Paul. And we know Paul was a great man. So they were founded by Paul. And even the eloquent preacher Apollos came by and ministered among us, the Corinthian uh, believers. So you find they were so privileged. They were such a privileged uh, congregation. So Paul goes on to give them a warning that, you know, the danger of being privileged is that, you know, you can become overconfident because of your blessings. And at the end, what happens? You forfeit the blessings that the Lord has, has given you. So Paul is actually looking at the example of Israel. Why? Because, you know, for Paul, you know, you find that the Israelites... They had all these blessings. And guess what? They did not finish their race very well. They got disqualified. So the Israelites, they did not discipline themselves. So they became, they were disqualified from the race. God punished them. And many of them, they died in the wilderness. And as we see, uh, Paul gives in the application in verse 12. He says, so if you think that you are standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. If you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There is a danger. The danger of being blessed is that you become overconfident. We are so blessed with the privileges that we have as believers. And we get to a point where we feel that we are invulnerable. We, can, we, we, we are impermeable. And we feel that, you know, you know, we are okay. And Paul is saying, be careful. Uh, because if you become overconfident, you will get into trouble. You are on a danger of falling away. And, uh, and just thinking about that thought, I was reminded of a man. Uh, there was a man who, I, was, I normally watch National Geographic, and there was a man who lived with the crocodiles. So he was looking after these big crocodiles. I think here in, in, in USA, in Florida, you've got these alligators, which are a little bit small. But the crocodiles are, are much bigger, really bigger uh, than the alligators. So this man, what he would do, he would actually, you know, sometimes the crocodile will open its mouth like this, and this man will create a stance by, 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 in which he will put his head in there between the jaws, and the tourists will come and take some photos. Wow, that's a nice pic. Wow, that's a nice pic. So this man was doing this for a long, long time. 
doing, performing his stunts, uh, putting his head, nothing happened to him. Then one day, he put his head in, in there, like his, his stunts, and people were taking some photographs and so on. And I don't know what happened on that day. The crocodile decided to close his jaws. And that man was in trouble. Many people jumped into the, the, where the crocodile was. They sat on it. Some were trying to open, uh, trying to get him out. Uh, finally, they were able to get him out, but he was actually hurt with, because of the teeth that had actually gone inside, um, inside his skull. So you find, my friends, you find this, this is an example of being overconfident. This man thought that because he could do that, he could always do that without danger. He was actually moving on the line, on the thin line of danger. So it's the same thing uh, with the believers in, in Corinth. God has blessed them. They were founded by Paul. They had such, uh, you, know, you know, ministers like Apollos, like Peter and the others. Not only that, they were blessed with spiritual gifts. So there were spiritual gifts in the church there. So in the same way, Paul is, is warning us as a church, as GBF, so that we know we are so blessed. We hear the gospel being preached on Sunday. We hear the gospel being taught during the midweek prayers and midweek Bible studies. And Paul is, is giving us a warning. He says, be careful that you do not fall. Be careful that you do not fall. In other words, he's saying, do not just relax and enjoy those blessings. But in other words, we should continue to, to run the race with fear and trembling. And you remember, like, this is what Paul says in verse 6. He says, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on the evil things as the Israelites did. As the Israelites did. So these things happened to them as examples. They were written to us as warnings. So this, uh, you know, this passage is actually a warning for us believers. For us believers. So in other words, we should not become too over, overconfident because of the blessings that the Lord has given us. Otherwise, we may think that we stand and we find our soul, ourselves falling. Look at the Israelites. Just imagine of the just put yourself in the feet of the Israelites. You find that the Israelites, they received God's blessings. They received God's blessing. During the, during the day when they were walking in the wilderness, they had the cloud of the Lord guiding them uh, as they traveled. And not only that, during the night, you find there was a cloud, or a, a pillar of fire that was leading them as they traveled. And not only that, you remember that when they came to the Red Sea, what did the Lord do? The Lord opened the sea into two, and they walked on dry ground. Wow, what a miracle. Just imagine going to the sea. As you step on the sea, the waters divide, and you walk on dry ground. Wow, what a privilege that the Israelites had. So you find that they were able to pass through the Red Sea. Not only that, they were also immersed, the Bible says, they were baptized into Moses. In other words, they were identified with the, with the great leader, Moses. And not only that, the Bible tells us that they, they, they ate the spiritual food, they drank from the spiritual drink, 
And the Bible tells us that this spiritual rock was Jesus Christ. So you find that the Israelites were so privileged. I can go on even tell you that not only that, the Lord gave them the laws. Not only that, the Lord actually dwelled in the middle of the Israelites in a tent called the tabernacle. Wow, what a privilege that the Israelites had there. So you find that just like the Israelites, you find that you and I, we are so privileged. The Lord has delivered us from the domain of darkness, which we can say that it represents uh, Egypt. And the Lord has led us through the waters of escape. And not only that, the Lord has baptized us. We are all baptized into Christ. We are all baptized into Christ. We are all identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the Israelites, we, we all ate the spiritual food. Um, we have been rescued. We have been delivered. We have been guided. We have been united. We have been fed. But we've been nourished by the word of God. We've been delivered from the bondage and the power of sin. So if you look at that, wow, what a great privilege that we have as believers there. Not only that, in the church we are, we are, we are guided by the Lord. We are united with Christ. Our souls are constantly fed through the word of God. Each and every Sunday, each and every week. So we are actually enjoying these privileges. So you find that we, just like the Israelites, we are, we are sitting in a place where you and I were being blessed by the Lord. But we ask the question, what happened to the Israelites? What happened? Yes, they were, they were blessed, but what happened? The Bible tells us uh, that nevertheless God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So in other ways, there was tragedy. Their corpses were all were seen in the, in the desert. In other words, they got disqualified. Even though they enjoyed the blessings that the Lord had given them, many of them, they did not pass the test. They were disqualified. So you find that Paul is actually encouraging us. He says, what a tragic situation. He's encouraging you and I so that when we run the race, We run it well, and we don't get disqualified, just like the Israelites, who were disqualified. Then we ask the question, what went wrong with the Israelites? What went wrong? What happened to them? And the Bible tells us that they craved the evil things of this world. They set their hearts on the evil things. They lasted after the things of this world. So as a result, they do not make it. And we live in a world where you find believers, we start very well in our race, we lose focus, we start focusing on the things of this world, and we start going after those things. And at the end of the day, we get disqualified. Now, if you look at the life of Israel, the Israelites were disqualified because of three sins. The first sin is the sin of idolatry. And we see that in verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As some of them were. So in other words, if you look in the history of Israel, they committed idolatry. Uh, When they were barely out of Egypt, in Exodus 32, we are told that they built a golden calf. They built a golden calf. And at that time, Moses was up in, in, in the mountain. 
So they actually say to, to, to Aaron, Aaron, we want to worship our own God. So they take the jewelry and they, and they melted it into a golden calf there. So we see them right away uh, committing the, the sin of idolatry. Uh, John Calvin says this. He says that the fallen heart is an idol-making factory. A fallen heart is an idol-making factory. So in other words, you find that our hearts are prone to create some idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that we regard more important than our God. Anything that we regard as more important than God, it becomes an idol. Anything that absorbs our hearts and imagination more than God, that becomes an idol. Sometimes we've got good things that the Lord has given us. But if those things take the place of God, then we've got a problem. They become an idol. Sometimes it can be good things like the jobs that the Lord has given us. If, the jobs, if my job becomes more important than God, then it's an idol. It could be good things like a family that the Lord has given me. If my family becomes more important than God, then it's an idol. So, so you find that, friends, you and I, we have to look at our hearts and see if there are idols in our lives. If there are idols in our lives, we should flee away from those things. We should ask the Lord to help us and to deliver us from idolatry. Then there's a, so we see that the Israelites fell into three sins, the sin of idolatry. Then the second sin was the sin of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And we see that, uh, um, you know, that happening in Numbers 25, where we see the Israelite uh, men committing immorality with the Moabite women. And on that day, 23,000 people died because of that sin. So you find that many Israelites were disqualified because of the sin of sexual immorality. Friends, we live in a society where there's lots of sexual immorality taking place. Uh, we, we live in a society where many people are struggling with pornography. Many people are struggling with pornography. Many people are struggling with fornication. Many people are going outside of their marriages and they are committing adultery there. And I want to say that these kinds of sin, they actually disqualify us from finishing the race. At the Shepherds Conference, John MacArthur made a comment. He says, the last three years has been shocked by the number of, uh, you know, pre- of, of, of preachers and men of God who have, who have fallen into moral failure. So may the Lord help us so that we can flee away from, the, from sexual immorality because that disqualifies us from finishing the race. May the Lord help us uh, so that we, if we are struggling with such kind of things, may the Lord help us so that we seek him and we ask him to deliver us from the sin of sexual immorality. Then the third uh, sin that the Israelites fell in is the sin of grumbling. The sin of grumbling. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26, this is what Moses says. He says that you grumbled in the tents. And you said that the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. So you find that constantly 
the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they grumbled. They complained before Moses. And in Numbers 16, this is what they say. They say that, isn't it enough that you have brought us out of the land flowing, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? So they were going to Moses and saying, Moses, you have given us a wrong deal. We have left the promised land, which is Egypt, and you want us to die in the wilderness. So they grumbled. They grumbled. They grumbled. And I was wondering, uh, brothers and sisters, why would uh, Paul list the sin of grumbling among us these other two serious sins? We know what idolatry is. We know what sexual immorality is. But how, why would Paul list the sin of grumbling? And you find that, brothers and sisters, the sin of grumbling, it's a serious sin. Why? Because behind that sin, there is unbelief. There is unbelief. There is lack of faith. So when we grumble, what are we doing? There is a lack of faith in our hearts. There is discontentment in God. That's why many people grumble. You find, we find ourselves, you know, grumbling. We find ourselves complaining. We find ourselves, you know, because it was, this is coming away because of we, the lack of faith. We don't trust in God anymore. So we start complaining about our situation. We started complaining about the jobs that the Lord has given us. We started complaining about the marriages that the Lord has given us. We started complaining about the, even the children that the Lord has given us. So you find there's a lack of faith and discontentment in God. And it's sad to say that sometimes you find even believers grumbling against their spiritual leaders in the church, the elders, the pastors, and the authorities. So you find that, you know, when we, when we are grumbling, grumbling is a serious sin. It's a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of lack of faith. May the Lord help us to repent of this sin. May the Lord help us so that we can watch ourselves if we are falling into this sin of, of, of grumbling, instead of grumbling about our leaders, maybe we need to pray for our leaders. Instead of grumbling against the authorities that the Lord has put um, above us, maybe we need to be praying for them. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. So may the Lord help us so that we, we, we don't follow the example of the Israelites who got uh, this. this disqualified. Now, so we see the Paul talks about running the race. We need to focus uh, on Christ as we run the race. He talks about the warning of the, of the Israelites. Then thirdly, he gives an encouragement. And this is the part that I really love. Uh, the last part of, of this uh, section. is He says that God is faithful. Remember that the Israelites when they fell, when they got disqualified, their first temptation, their first trials, and they could, not, they could not overcome the trials. Why? They didn't have the discipline that they needed. And guess what? They were disqualified. But Paul closes here uh, with a nice verse. He says that God is faithful. And he says this in, in verse 18. Um, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So he says that God is faithful. In other words, he's saying that here is a word of encouragement. As you and I go through tests, as we go through temptations, as we go through trials, our God is dependable. Our God is reliable. Our God can be trusted. Our God can keep us, can keep faith. He is able to keep his promises in our lives. And you find, if you look at the race that the Israelites ran, you find that the whole, that wilderness generation, almost all of it, they perished, except two people. And that was Joshua and Caleb. Why did Joshua and Caleb make it? They had faith in God. They trusted in God. They knew that God is reliable. And they put their whole trust in him. So my friends, I want to tell you that even as we face the various challenges and trials and temptations, there is a way out. Our God is faithful. No temptation um, has overtaken us except what is common to mankind. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And, and this is true. And this is what the scriptures tell us. There. So in other words, you find that temptations, they are humanly bearable. Temptations are not supernatural. Temptations are not supernatural. One time I was listening to a Christian radio station with my wife. And um, on the radio station, there was a pastor who was actually sharing his experience with the presenter. And, um, and what he was saying, he was saying that, you know, many times the people in his church, they always say to the pastor, Pastor, I couldn't help it. The temptation was too heavy for me. And, and you find that Paul is saying that that is not true. God will, bring, will never bring temptations that are beyond what you and I can bear. So you find that, you know, we cannot blame it and say that the temptation was too strong. The temptation was supernatural. There is nothing like that. No temptation is supernatural there. So we cannot blame it on God. And you find there are other people as well who blame things on the devil. Uh, some years ago, um, I was, you know, my, my brother-in-law planned the wedding, my wedding. And he says to us, you know, the wedding is going to start at 9 o'clock in the morning. Exactly 9 o'clock, everyone has to be there. And he says to the people, he says, we don't want to hear people saying that, ah, it's the devil. The devil, you know, the devil, I missed, I couldn't make it. Because of the devil, sometimes you find that believers blame the devil. And yet it's not the devil at all there. So you find, my friends, the good news is that God is faithful. God will keep the temptation, become so strong um, that you cannot stand against it. The Lord will always open a way for us. Um, you find that, you know, yes, most of the Israelites perished in the wilderness, but you have a good example in Joshua and Caleb who made it to the promised land there. So in other words, the Lord knows us. The Lord knows what we can handle. The Lord knows what we can handle. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear there. So you find that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. I don't know what kind of challenges that you are going through as a believer, but I just want to encourage you 
uh, this morning just to let you know that the Lord is faithful. He is with you. You can run the rest. We can run the rest. We can focus the, our attention on Christ. And the good example is that we are told in Hebrews chapter 12 that, you know, we can run focusing our attention on Jesus Christ. Why? He ran his race and he ran it well, giving us a model for us to follow. So you and I, even irregardless the challenges that we are facing in our, in our personal lives, the Lord is there for us. We can run the race. Not only that, God is faithful. He will always provide a way out for us. He will always provide a way out for us. So continue to, to put your hands in, in God's hands. Continue to run, focusing on Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray. Heaven Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful passage uh, that we have meditated upon, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for, um, for the metaphor that Paul uses, the metaphor of running a race. And Lord, we pray so that, Lord, you help us to run our races well. Help us, Lord, to follow the rules and help us, Lord, to focus on you, Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Father, Lord, we pray so that, Lord, as we face the challenges and trials and temptations in our lives, Father, we pray so that, Lord, you help us to cling on to your promises, to know that, Lord, even during those times, Lord, you have not abandoned us. Lord, you are present with us. Lord, you are such a faithful God. Lord, we can, there's always a way out because, Lord, you have made it so, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a faithful God. Help us, Lord, to continue to be a witness for you, Lord, as we live our lives as believers, Lord, as we share the gospel. We pray so that, Lord, we will do so in such a way that we are not disqualified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.